Now, there's probably some good reasons why students need permission slips before they go to the field trip, right? So I want you to imagine our good Savior, good Lord, sweet Jesus, with his disciples, and he takes them on what I think is a little field trip. Now keep in mind, in my mind, I, I still think these disciples are younger people, you know, teenagers probably. And he takes them on a field trip to a place that they just don't know anything about. In your mind, in my mind, I think, when we hear the word sin city, right, we think of slot machines and the shows and all that kind of stuff, right? But I think Jesus takes them on a field trip to a real sin city. Actually, the place that Jesus did take them to, that Mark tells us, it's a place where there was a pagan shrine where people would come to do their pagan worship and all of its things that they would do. And it was also a city that was rebuilt to glorify Caesar, to show everyone how wonderful Caesar is because, as everyone knows, Caesar is Lord. You go with me? Sin city, I think, as far as these disciples understand it. But it's in that context there. Over all that pagan worship, over all that Caesar talk, that Jesus takes his disciples and he asks them, who do people say that I am? And they rattle off, you know, some pretty impressive answers that compare him and his work to some, some Old Testament people, very important Old Testament people. It's nice, good answers, nice. Um, but who do you say that I am? And, and Peter seems to speak up for the, the whole group and he says, well, you are the Messiah. And I always wonder if he whispered that or not. Because, well, we all know that Caesar is Lord. And if you say anything different, y'all with me? So, you are Messiah. And that word Messiah is kind of funny to us. We don't quite know what to do with it. But simply, it means anointed one. The one chosen by God to do God's work. Now, that's significant because up until this point in the gospel, according to our friend Mark, Jesus has done a lot of teaching. He's done a lot of healing. But he hasn't done anything that sort of, you know, change the world, take over the world kind of stuff. He hasn't done anything like that. And so for Peter to be able to say, you are the Messiah, I think we should be proud of Peter. Good job, Peter. Right answer, Peter. But what we quickly learn is that although Peter has the right answer, he's got the wrong understanding. Some point, I'm going to assume that uh, some of us in here have um, maybe said something to a boss or a higher up, something that we later regretted. Is that fair? I'm going to assume at some point, uh, some of us in here, guys, let's just be real, we've said something to our spouse that we've regretted. Hmm. Or even as parents, we say things to our children that we later regret. And there's just no way around it, right? We just, we can't help it. Emotions run high. Things are going on. Maybe we feel like our, our viewpoint isn't heard. We feel like nobody's listening to us. We get in that moment and we, the first thing that pops in our mind is the first thing that spills out of our mouth. 
usually trouble ensues. Sound familiar? Good, I thought I was the only one. I mean, this doesn't happen to me. I read this in a book and I'm giving it to you somewhere. Peter, I think, is a lot like us. Sometimes we try to poke at Peter and say, oh, Peter, the big mouth, Peter, the one who thinks he's all that, but we are so much more like Peter than I think we realize. You see, Jesus had told his disciples, once Peter announced that you are the Messiah, he told them, you know what, that Messiah stuff, keep that hush-hush. But then the very next sentence, Mark says that he begins to tell all this stuff, Jesus, about what it means to him to be Messiah. And, Mark tells us, he does this quite openly. So, disciples, you keep quiet, but I've got something to say about what I think Messiah is supposed to be. And in Jesus' mind, what Messiah is and does is a lot different than what Peter has in mind. And how do you know that? There's Jesus out in the open saying that the the Messiah must uh, suffer punishment, must be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, must be killed, and on and on and on. And Peter goes, Jesus, come here, brother. Mark says that Peter rebuked Jesus. Now, maybe you've said something to a boss or to a wife. Or is that the same? Anyway, um, but you can't get much higher up than Jesus. And Peter's, uh, Mark says Peter rebuked Jesus. And it was because the stuff that Jesus was saying didn't match what Peter had in his mind. Y'all with me? Get behind me, Satan. There's a moment, right? When you realize that what you just said is what you just said. When you realize you can't take it back. When you realize just how hurtful, how damaging, Maybe even how wrong it is. And I wonder when Jesus gave Peter his new name, if that wasn't that moment for him. Get behind me, Satan. Am I speaking to anybody? Good, because I know church people got it all together, so I was kind of worried how we were going to all deal with this. There's this paradox that we, that we have. You know, there are words that we wish we didn't say, and then there are times when we wish we should have said, we wish we would have said some words, words we wish we could take back, words, words we wish we could have or would have said in any circumstance. And the paradox is that, uh, we remember in James, is that with this big thing right here, 
We can bless and we can curse. We can give glory to God and we can curse God. We can call Jesus Messiah with one breath and with the very next one, rebuke Jesus. That's the paradox of our words, that we can do so much good with this big thing here, but we can also do so much and if you look at James, it's, it's, you almost feel kind of, you almost feel kind of uh, helpless because James doesn't pr- give a pretty good picture. Let me read that to you again real fast. What does James say about the tongue? I should have written it down, but it's too good not to remind you. Oh, we got a lot of, we got a lot of stuff to look forward to. This is what... This is what uh, James tells us about the tongue. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire fire by hell. Now, some of us hear that thing. Well, see, it's not my fault. <laughs> That's just the way we are. I can't help it. It's not me. It's not, it's just this. It's just the way it happens. But then I got to remind you something else that James says later on. He says, um, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield, yield olives or grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. And part of what James is saying is, yeah, that's what we do. But that's not the way we were created. That's not the way we have to be. You remember in creation, Everything that God created, God called what? Y'all with me? We don't have to curse. We can be the blessing. But we've got to learn how to do that. We've got to be willing to learn how to do that. So this just this this idea that it's just the way that I am, no. We, we can't stand with that. And any of us who've ever been uh, good at putting our foot in our mouth once or twice. Keep going? Okay. Need to understand that there is, there is a way, there is hope that we can be more of the blessing side. Now, there's no easy thing I can tell you, hey, do this and you've got it. But what I will tell you is that that blessing that comes from this big thing here begins with something very important, I think, to the heart of God. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified greatly. Particularly, usually wisdom comes across as a woman, Sophia, wisdom, right? And in the first chapter... Of uh, Proverbs, Sophia is at the busiest street corner. Wisdom is at the corners of, uh, of the busiest intersection, yelling out 
to everyone who passes by. How long will you, O simple ones, remain simple? And part of the message, I think, is that wisdom has something to offer. Wisdom has something to tell us. Wisdom has somewhere to lead us. But we've got to be willing to listen, to hear. And we have to know also that this wisdom, this isn't witty wisdom, this isn't one-liner, nice things to say. This is the wisdom of God. Wisdom that was behind God's creation. Wisdom that is behind the will of God. That wisdom is the greatest tongue depressor there is. When we can learn what God wants us to use this for, when we can learn that maybe the words we have are backed up by feelings that we have in us, because you remember Jesus said it's not what comes in, it's what comes out. That wisdom, the wisdom of God, shows us where our will is not yet aligned with God. And if we listen to wisdom's call on that busy street corner, we can be brought closer and closer to the will of God. Now, understand, that's not a quick fix. That's not a go home, try this, and you're going to be all right. That is an everyday thing where you have to wake up and decide, this is what I'm going to do. Which is what I think the psalmist had in his mind. Psalm 19, that great psalm. I bet some of you probably know that. You've heard preachers pray it right before they preach. That psalmist who looked at all of God's creation and thought, wow! Creation is speaking the praise of God without even saying a thing. And here I am. Some guy that can't get his life together. Some guy that doesn't even know all the things I do wrong. But his prayer was, prayer. You know that prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If you and I wake up every morning and have that prayer in our heart, if when somebody says whatever they got to say to you, And if before you can everything out, you can say, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. I guarantee you things will be different. I guarantee you relationships will be different. I guarantee you bosses might be a little bit nicer. I guarantee you things will be different because what we are doing is using the wisdom of God to tune our hearts closer to the will of God. As God's people, what else do we want more than to follow after the will of God? So, if you want to be more faithful with your words, with who you are, would you join me in prayer? Mighty God, by your word, 
you created everything we know. You created us. Your word is powerful, and your word brings life. We pray, God, for your forgiveness when we haven't used our words to do the same, to bring life to others, when we've used our words to bring other people down, to raise ourselves up, when we've used our words out of anger, selfish ambition, or anything else that doesn't align with your word. And we ask that today would be a new day for us. As we seek out your wisdom, not only with our words, but with who we are as people. As we seek more and more to put our mind not on human things, but on divine things. In Jesus' name then we pray. Amen.